But I'd have to say I really did stay on because of the community. I just loved interacting with the community and with the city of Surrey. It was just so rewarding. And I joined the Surrey Board of Trade, um, downtown Surrey BIA just slightly afterwards. And I just love the business as well as the nonprofit and community organizations in Surrey. So that and the students really lured me in to say, yeah, I'm gonna stay for a while. Welcome to The Journey Here, a podcast that profiles the stories of community builders from all walks of life. I'm your host, Steve Dooley. Well, I want to welcome everyone to this very, very special edition of The Journey Here. My guest today is Dr. Joanne Curry, Vice President of External Relations at Simon Fraser University. And this is a special edition because this is the 20th anniversary this year of Simon Fraser University Surrey campus. And there's a lot to unpack with Joanne about the journey over those 20 years. But before we do that, Joanne, I just want to first welcome you to the journey here. Thank you for having me, Steve. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Oh, we'll have a lot of fun. So we just want to start, you know, the journey here is about the journey here. And so where did your journey start as a young person, I believe, growing up in Manitoba? Maybe just tell us about any kind of experiences growing up that you'd want to share that would help us get to know you as a person. Great. Well, I actually was born in Nipigon, Ontario, and grew up in very small logging camps uh, with my sister and family. Wow. I think I, I wasn't in a community with the name until I was 10, and it was Tamarack spelt backwards with 500 people. So that was the largest community up until age 12. And what a great upbringing. You know, as anyone who's grown up in a small community, there is community. And uh, everyone knows you, you know everybody. And it was a great opportunity to be really supportive and carefree running around town with lots of people. There happened to be an ice rink right across the street. And so that's how I ended up uh, loving ice hockey. But I think that really did influence me in later years, just that connection with community and, and how important it is. But at age 12, we moved to the booming metropolis of the Paw, Manitoba. And <laughs> I was so excited because I could achieve my lifelong dream of being a paper girl. But I'd only seen that in movies where they're on the corner of streets yelling, get your paper here. But I ended up going door to door and being a paper delivery girl at age 12 and was thrilled. So that was your first job, being a paper girl. I was very entrepreneurial. So before that, I sold hockey pool tickets for commission. I babysat, I house cleaned. Um, so I, I loved making money and I uh, loved being an <laughs> entrepreneur, albeit at a very small scale. Well, that's definitely some foreshadowing for some work at SFU, yes. entrepreneurship. But can we just unpack this logging camps a little bit more? Why in logging camps? Was that where your family was working or Yes, my father uh, began his career at age 17 in different camps. Uh, so, you know, in a typical camp, there was basically a logging dormitory. Uh, and then there were a couple of families. So in one camp, there was one other family in town with a couple of kids. So Halloween was really exciting because there were only three kids in the neighborhood. So we were able to go house to house, dormitory to dormitory. Uh, so that was pretty exciting, but very limited services. You know, you, you had to go to nearby communities for groceries or any services. And how far were the local communities if you're in a logging camp? 
Uh, it's about an hour away to get wow. to a larger community. Wow, that sounds really exciting. And and you developed your entrepreneurial spirit there. So we end up in the Paw. We love hockey. And I know that that you were the co-founder of SFU's uh, women's hockey team. So we'll get into that okay. a little bit more later. Um, so you find your way to the University of Manitoba. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, the, the PAW is only about 6,000 people and there aren't a lot of professions in town. So mm -hmm. when it came to what would I do and I was a really good student, it was really either being a teacher and I kind of liked the idea of being in business. So I had never even heard of the field of business, but I ended up going into a Bachelor of Commerce degree mm -hmm. at uh, U of M. And I only applied for two Manitoban universities. I just, you know, thinking, staying local. My sister went to University of Manitoba. Mm -hmm. So um, I started at age 17 and just loved university life. Wow. And then you make your way to SFU. How, does, how did you transition from Manitoba to British Columbia? What precipitated that? Well, I had uh, graduated at age 21 and started working in commercial banking and then biotechnology and consulting. And I had someone give me career advice. I had a bachelor's degree and it would really be good to go forward and uh, obtain a master's degree. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was an opportunity, my husband and I, let's try out someplace else in Canada. So that seemed to, to be the best bet. And uh, I had an offer from SFU and another prominent Lower Mainland University. Uh, <laughs> and we came for a visit, job hunting for my husband. And I visited both universities. And the reason I picked SFU is I came up, uh, went to the School of Business. The dean welcomed me into his office, gave me coffee, gave me an on-the-spot scholarship. Um, I talked to people about the flexibility of the program and the fact that it was trimester mm. was really appealing because I was, you know, 30. Um, I wanted to sort of get my master's and get back out into the workforce. Uh, so that was really appealing. And you're going to laugh, Steve, because on the day I went up to Burnaby Mountain, it snowed. And, you know, coming from Manitoba, I didn't dress very well, you know, warmly because I thought, ah, this isn't cold weather. And I still remember watching buses slide backwards down part of the mountain. And uh, despite that, I ended up accepting SFU's offer. But uh, as you know, I've been such a proponent of the gondola. And yeah. I think that was such a vivid memory, um, as well as lots of uh, sheer terror driving the hills of BC when it's snowing. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you graduated at 21, you came to SFU at 30, and you said you worked about 10 years in banking, biotechnology, consulting, any key memories from that time? Yeah, I've just been so fortunate in my life because when I worked for banking, um, my employer at the time, my mentor, offered me a new job, which allowed us to go traveling the world. So we did a round the world trip for six months. Wow. Now, when I came back, that company didn't exist. So I had to do plan B. But that was just a wonderful experience. And just going back to U of M and why I think I not only went to SFU, but had such a good feeling about universities and working in companies is that when we had guest speakers in from industry, uh -huh. especially from technology, it was just eye-opening for me. And just seeing the resources and the expertise at university and how businesses can benefit and vice versa, that was really memorable, uh, particularly my third and fourth year of university. Wow, that's great. Um, so could you tell us how you met Don? 
Okay, I haven't told the story publicly, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, I asked him out to my uh, grade 12 graduation. Because oh, nice. My sister and his sister were best friends. Uh -huh. And uh, I just wanted a date for the night. I didn't want to invite any boys that I knew and, you know, create any expectations. So, and I didn't know him, even though I lived next door and delivered their paper. Uh -huh. I didn't know of him because he was playing semi-pro hockey and left at age 16. So I, I don't think I met him until I asked him uh, out to graduation. So it was, uh, yeah. I, and again, I just thought it was one night you know, good looking date. That's good. <laughs> and uh, we've been together ever since and just celebrated our 40th anniversary. Oh, that's beautiful. And for the listeners out there, Don's a great guy. And, you know, it sounds like you did this journey out West together and still going strong 40 years later. So congratulations on that. And I know you have two wonderful kids as well. Yes, Jad and Daniel, definitely. Okay. Now, just to finish up on the education. So you did your MBA at SFU, but then you went on to do your doctorate in business administration at the University of Bath. And well, in that, your thesis, you looked at the relationship between universities and city government. And I know that's really grounded to some of your work in Surrey. So we'll unpack that a little more later. But for now, let's get to SFU Surrey. Mm -hmm. So how did that all come about? And how did you become the first executive director of the SFU Surrey campus? I'm glad we're having this conversation now because next week on February 7th is the 20th year anniversary from the announcement of the BC government of SFU amalgamating the students of Tech BC, which was the new university that unfortunately was being closed down. So at the time, through a pressure from local MLAs and community, uh, the government considered proposals from the post-secondary system because the concern was with the students of Tech BC who in good faith you know, enrolled and were in their second or some cases third year mm -hmm. and had nowhere to go. And so SFU, uh, there was some amazing leadership through Michael Stevenson, Ron Martinek, John Waterhouse. So they wrote a proposal and it was a very straightforward proposal that SFU would come in, we would allow the students of Tech BC to graduate and begin a satellite campus, as we called it in those days, uh, at the site. There was no commitment to any particular facility, uh, but just that we would take on the students. And I think it was modest enrollment growth of like 860 students that was initially approved. So SFU's proposal was accepted. We were told that uh, you know, it took care of the students to the greatest extent possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we all already had a lot of our students that lived in Surrey and the South Fraser. So I have been doing some consulting work for uh, John Waterhouse. Uh, and I, I worked at SFU in the university industry liaison. That was my first job after my master's program. Mm -hmm. So I was approached to lead the transition mm -hmm. for just a seven month contract. Just, it was very complex, very um, tense because you had mm -hmm. Tech BC, which was frankly laying off staff. And then you had SFU Surrey alongside that were hiring staff. Mm -hmm. And just lots of issues, lots of panic with students. So um, I was only going to be there for seven months, but it was such an interesting, uh, energetic process as well that I was convinced to stay for two more years, you know, as mm -hmm. the interim executive director of the Surrey campus, just to continue to build out the programs. And I did a lot of work with government in terms of proposals. So um, I thought, okay, I'm just going to stay two more years. 
And then <laughs> I was approached, would you like to stay on continuing and apply for the position? And my initial thought was, well, no, I'll go off, do other things, uh -huh. maybe come back at some point in the future. And John Waterhouse talked to me, the VP academic, about imprint theory and about how important it is to be there sort of at the ground floor and what an impact that I could make by continuing my work in this regard and uh, full support to pursue entrepreneurial ventures, you know, the student incubator, the Indie Advisory, like it was just, yeah, stay on and you can do all sorts of really interesting projects. But I'd have to say I really did stay on because of the community. Mm. I just loved interacting with the community and mm -hmm. with the city of Surrey. It was just so rewarding. And I joined the Surrey Board of Trade, um, downtown mm -hmm. Surrey BIA just slightly afterwards. And I just loved the business as well as the nonprofit and community organizations in Surrey. So that and the students really mm. lured me in to say, yeah, I'm going to stay for a while. Well, you know, now, and I think this is part of your legacy, we talk a lot about the Surrey campus vibe, that there is just something about the campus and the space and the people. And I think that is an example of imprint theory from Joanne Curdy. <laughs> yeah, well, I think also the roots in Tech BC did have an influence. Right. Um, Tech BC hired uh, amazing faculty, which is now in our School of Interactive Arts and Technology primarily, and really good staff. And there was a really good connection between faculty and staff. They'd be yeah. playing ping pong with students and faculty, and it was just very approachable. And the staff extremely service oriented and approachable as well. So that kind of fell into my belief system and my values of right. being friendly, approachable, community minded. So I think that had a big impact in the early days of SFU Surrey as well. You mentioned a number of people who were kind of helpful in the development of the campus. Is there anybody? else that influenced you that really helped you with the journey to SFU Surrey? Yeah, I, I immediately think of the late Tom Calvert, Dr. Tom Calvert. He was my mentor over the years and he was the person I called, should I take this job? And he said, well, it could be a career definer or it could not be a good situation because he was a vice president of Tech BC. So he knew the circumstance which I would find myself, but uh, he was an incredible uh, individual, longtime SFU faculty member, uh, CEO of Science Council. He had so many great career sort of moments, but he was on the Tech BC transition side and we worked together, you know, trusted colleagues along with uh, Jane Fee and Ron Martin. And I think, uh, you know, I mentioned a whole bunch of success factors and other people, but uh, he was instrumental, uh, Tom Calvert, and uh, I greatly miss him. So try to give our listeners a sense of the actual space. As I understand it early on in the Surrey campus, in an old Zellers, then in the tower, and then into the beautiful space that we have now. Just take us on the path of the space development of the campus. Yeah, so the initial footprint was a former store in what's now Central City Mall. So it was one giant room with high ceilings. So when we first took over, when we had the first meeting with Tech BC staff and faculty, it was in that space. And we operated there for a couple of years hmm. before we submitted a capital business case to government and got approved for $80 million in funding hmm. to purchase and to fit out permanent space. But before we settled on the space 
best of you surreas now we did a pretty comprehensive analysis of about 10 different sites and shortlisted mm. three sites so it was uh very much a step back and looking to what could be and then came back to the original site in part of where tech bc was going to be and that's another part, if you're looking at imprint theory, is the beautiful architecture of Bing Tong. Yeah. Uh, I think it was one of the things that also attracted SFU to Surrey. We have had amazing architects such as Erickson and Massey and, and others in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And it's, as you know, Steve, it's just such a spectacular space. And uh, the premise of you come up to the mezzanine and, you know, how many universities are attached to shopping centers and office towers. So it was an incredibly unique and inspirational space to go into. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until 2006 that we kind of opened up the main campus uh, and that became what is now home to SFU Surrey. Mm -hmm. And just going back to Big Tom, uh, amazing human being, the late Big Tom, who designed her newest building at the Surrey campus as well, uh, he and his team. The design for the space had been in the works for some time even before SFU, is that correct? Yes, and you know there were some challenges because it was designed for a digital university. It wasn't designed for engineering programs. So it did take a bit of doing. And I think one of the other things about the late Bing Tong uh, is him saying to SFU is like, you can't build mediocre programs. You know, the space requires amazing academic programs. And that is certainly a success factor of SFU Surrey. Just the uh, visionary academic planning. We had short and long-term planning under Bill Crane. And it was just mechatronics, you know, see it, which was former Tech BC sustainable energy engineering, but even education and all the wonderful programs that came into being in that beautiful building. Mm -hmm. And one of the programs that's really unique and going back to your entrepreneurial spirit in the, in the logging towns is our Coast Capital Venture Connection. Yeah, that's uh, actually, it's now over 10 years old. And I was looking for a, a program that complemented what was offered in the industry liaison office at Burnaby, which mm -hmm. I led for you know several years before moving on to another uh, job opportunity. And so I had been influenced by students and particularly graduate students, but even undergraduates approaching our office at Burnaby, wanting to commercialize really cool inventions and us just not having the real capacity to respond. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what a great opportunity to start from scratch a student entrepreneurship venture. Uh, so we worked with a number of people from the University Industry Liaison Office, from Mike Boker, Justine Bazoki, Bob DeWitt, and a couple of industry people like Jade Burrell and Doug Blakeway, like people that had some real ideas about what we could do different and special to support student entrepreneurs. And then we had some funders that shared the vision like Coast Capital. Mm -hmm. So it was just a, a great start and so happy that it is completely thriving and seeing all the spinoff companies um, and even those students that weren't successful. What a education and entrepreneurship that was gained through Venture Connection. Mm -hmm. And by the way, as you mentioned so many names there, I know from working with you that all of those names you mentioned are people that you have deep relationships with. So I think that's an important component is the authentic relationship building that you did. And that was really part of the Surrey campus uh, vibe. Yeah, even though I did talk about the community engagement, which I'm sure we'll talk about yes. uh, later, um, the internal engagement also was really important. And 
One of the things as an SFU employee, I was so proud of, uh, at the time of the creation of SFU Surrey, everybody jumped in, leaned in to help, whether it's human resources, IT facilities, everyone came from all of the Burnaby-based departments to say what could be and how they would work together and their expertise. So I was just incredibly pleased. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of backlash, less so in the SFU community, but like, oh, come on, you can't have a university in a shopping mall. Like, you know, mm -hmm. what, what's going on here? And so, you know, there were some doubters in the day. And now we all know Surrey is BC's second largest city and soon to be largest city. But 20 years ago, mm. that was the hotbed, and it was actually at the epicenter, not only a population growth, but it was the car theft capital of Canada. Like, mm. it was a rough neighborhood. Right. Um, so I think people had expressed some concerns about, you know, will SFU be successful? Mm. Looking back on the development of the campus over the last 20 years, is there anything you would have changed in how you approached things? I know that's a tough question, but I guess I'm just trying to get to the flip side. There must have been some challenges along the way, which I think you've alluded to a little bit. But does anything come to mind about, oh, if only we would have, that kind of thing? Well, we did have the constraints that we talked about of the yeah. building, but I think not starting small boutique programs that were amazing, but you need a critical mass so that mm. the faculty and students have colleagues. And so I think there were some smaller programs mm. that we started that I think we should just go with the anchor tenant, so to speak, but you, you need a certain size of program to really thrive uh, mm. in Surrey. So that was just a lesson learned through the years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think now, we had the momentum just recently about the sustainable energy engineering building. Mm -hmm. But as you know, our vision was a lot much larger campus and our MOU with government that was signed in the early days. Mm -hmm. So I do feel that, you know, it's time to take the next leap and we have land available to mm -hmm. build uh, new facilities, new programs. So I think we're at the point now where, you know, we've got a fabulous base of really innovative programs, thriving research, but I think we need to take that next step. Okay. And we are going to get into the community engagement strategy because I think that did kind of start with the work that was happening at Surrey, you know, the poorest boundaries between us and the community. Because you you definitely spearheaded SFU's strategy around community engagement. Maybe just tell us a little bit about that journey, because it's been amazing. Well, I certainly learned the importance of community and the challenges Tech BC had without like Tech BC were totally focused on building a brand new university. So really tough job. But when it came time to get community support, they, you know, communities like this is the first time I've heard from you. And so mm. that was a, a good lesson that to move forward, we needed community. And so I think the community advisory council that was developed in the first year was really important. But um, maybe it was my childhood roots, but just the feeling of wanting SFU to be a part of community. We're not some big university that walks into town that expects everyone to come to us. Like we wanted to go to community. Mm. I still remember the Surrey superintendent uh, saying, you know, we consider Simon Fraser University our university because there was also such a, a legacy of teacher training and education mm. with the Surrey School District. So that was really important to me. And so it was kind of just a natural strategy. And I did write it down in two pages. 
and presented it and had the feedback well if you want to get so MBA about it. <laughs> like at the time, it wasn't seen as something you develop a strategy around. So it was something that, you know, you message from your leadership, but you just start to develop those relationships. And, you know, the city of Surrey is one of our, our most special ones. And they weren't concerned where the faculty expertise came from, whether it came from Vancouver or Burnaby or Surrey campus. Mm. But it was just so great to develop relationships with all of the departmental managers, with mayor and council. And, and that was a real foundational partnership. And Steve, you've continued this. It's so important to have a visible person for people to contact. Because it's so hard to find your way into big, complex university organizations and know who to talk to. So I made myself really visible, you know, going out to every community event. So I, I was out there. And uh, I still remember um, it was actually the former city planner of city of Surrey saw me walking across SFU and just all of a sudden blanked on my name and yelled out, Miss SFU. <laughs> so, so I consider myself Miss SFU Surrey in those days, but the SFU representative in Surrey. So I, I really took that seriously. And uh, I think also the staff and faculty of, of SFU Surrey and increasingly SFU Burnaby saw the value in doing so. Mm -hmm. You made that the basis of the partnership with the city of Surrey, your PhD thesis. What were what were some of the lessons that you were able to present in that dissertation? Yeah, that was a great opportunity because I did a comparative case study of our relationship in Burnaby mm. with the city of Burnaby, which is a long relationship with the newer relationship in Surrey to figure out what worked in both cases, what didn't, the kinds of structures like liaison committees that worked. And I think the biggest surprise finding based on interviews with, you know, university people, but also city staff and mayors and former mayors, the informal was maybe in some cases more important than the formal structures and relationships. Mm. And so that sidebar conversation, you know, at a a city reception was as important as because once you set up a meeting, you need to have an agenda, you have people there, you have positions. So it was just a gentle way of connecting because initially the city of Surrey, you know, like they loved having a comprehensive university in town, but they weren't sure about this research mandate. Mm. And other than the prestige of research, what it might do in collaboration with the city. Mm. So there was a really a lot of effort in proof points of seeing what their priorities are and, and how we could respond. So I think the informality and uh, good relationships at the top between the president and the mayors is helpful, mm -hmm. but that alone doesn't make things move forward necessarily. You need to have sort of the backup, the follow through uh, to make things happen. What the cities expressed is it's important for SFU to be at the table, not just for SFU, not to be saying, you know, give SFU this or we need this, but just as part of the community. So to be a kind of third party, whether it's the downtown Surrey BIA or other committees where industry and community gather was really important that we showed up mm -hmm. in as many places as possible and were hopefully helpful. That's the exact line I use as well. Just showing up in community and being part of what's happening and then the relationships evolve from there. Yeah. We're getting near the end here, Joanne, but the listeners have to hear about there was one event. I think this event speaks to when things are just developing, the kinds of funny stories that can happen. But I think it was a Christmas party 
that you were you were getting uh we won't say the name of the place but one of the local restaurants to cater for you and everything was planned and then what happened my god i still get sweats thinking about it but i must say just at the start that i I was kind of known as the party queen but the reason i had a lot of get-togethers is everybody was just working flat out and so hard And it's really important to take the time out to celebrate. And often we don't do that because we're so busy and we're on to the next thing, but just to really celebrate milestones and and gather together. But in this case, we were going to have our Christmas party in a brand new restaurant facility that was opening up and it hadn't yet opened to the public. We were going to be the very first event. Mm. So I kept walking by earlier in the week. It was still shuttered and I kept going in and said to the owner, you sure you're going to be ready? Oh, yes, Joanne, we will be ready. <laughs> and then the next day, are you sure? Yes, we're sure. And then the day of the Christmas party, a fire department doesn't allow them to open. So wow. about an hour before we're expecting, I don't know if there's 100 people, I can't remember how many people. So this is where community ingenuity come to play. So we ended up and we had a live band with their speakers and everything in wow. a band waiting to come in. So within an hour, we had uh, Blackwood, um, the building owners, provide us with an empty floor on the tower that was empty at the time, wow. with beautiful views. So allowed us to make use of that space. We had the band move up there. Anything that wasn't prepared at the restaurant on premises was able to go up. Uh, to the facility so we had we weren't planning it for the party but we had oysters we had all sorts of you know wonderful canapes uh, brought up through them and they were feeling horrible right Right, of course Uh, and they operated a bar at the new premises then we had staff we ordered from three different greek restaurants in surrey we had people going to the dollar store getting decor so it was within i would say an hour we had an amazing party uh, so it was it was fun because it's kind of like, you know, when you come through a big challenge, like we've been coming through challenges, yeah. but just to even have a holiday party and just to have such an amazing one. So uh, most people still say to me today, you know, that was the best university function of my life. Well, <laughs> so I don't know if we'll ever be able to recreate it and I don't want the stress of doing so, but it was just staff and the building owner and the restaurant owner everybody came together in order to make this happen within an hour within an hour doesn't that show the the importance of the partnerships in advance right so with blackwood being able to pick up the phone and make a call and get space within an hour that's pretty impressive yeah Mm -hmm. yeah okay well i just have one final question if we look back on the last 20 years what are you looking forward to for the next 20 for the sfu surrey campus and for sfu in general I think we all are so proud of the last 20 years and the the programs, the research, the community partnerships that have been developed. And uh, one could say that we're more than halfway to our targeted growth. But I think that second half of growth um, Mm. could actually, it's going to be exponential. Mm. Um, It's not going to be twice as much impact if certain programs are selected that are really important, not only to Surrey and the South Fraser, but to the BC economy. 
So I think there's a real opportunity there. Uh, the communities of Surrey and South Fraser could continue to grow and students still want opportunities close to home. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the question is, what are the distinctive programs that we can launch to really complete the campus? Mm -hmm. uh, I'd also like to see student housing is something that we've talked about and come close to in previous years. And that's important to first year students, international students. So a little bit more of a complete campus in some of those areas, uh, but I think it's those wonderful distinctive programs that are really going to drive the future, not only of Surrey, but of British Columbia. Thank you very much, Joanne. So from logging camps in Northern Ontario to Vice President of External Relations at SFU, it's an amazing journey here. Yeah, well, I really appreciate the opportunity to reminisce, Steve, because uh, I've just been so fortunate to have opportunities like the uh, creation of SFU Surrey with so many amazing colleagues and to have you continue the legacy as well and, and lead us into the next, next 20 years. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Journey Here. We hope you'll join us again on our next episode for more stories of people making an impact in their community. You can find The Journey Here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.